This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Mariner's Pod. Welcome back. Thanks for being here. Hopefully you had a great weekend, a great fourth, and I really hope you're enjoying it. Holiday Monday. So Mariners had a nice weekend. They took two out of three from the Texas Rangers. We'll dive into that as the Mariners take another series, which was great to see. Another thriller in the first game of the series. We'll go into the details. We'll have all the reaction from a very fun weekend against the Texas Rangers. Rick Riz over the weekend sat down with Hector Santiago as well. We'll visit with the Mariners reliever. And today is Larry Doby Day. On this date in 1947, Larry Doby broke the color barrier in the American League, and we'll pay tribute to the Hall of Famer Larry Doby. So a ton to get to on this podcast, and we'll start with the first game of the series against the Texas Rangers on Friday night, which turned out to be a wild affair a game where the Mariners fell behind early and just slowly, slowly, long climb back to try and get even in the ball game. Texas scored two in the third, one in the fifth, had a 3 nothing lead at that point, but Mariners just one in the fifth, one in the seventh, chipping away, some opportunities along the way that went by the wayside. And then finally, Finally, they come all the way back in the eighth inning, and this was a trend of the weekend. Luis Torrens, he had a couple of big knocks. The look in by Rodriguez, and again the one-two to Torrens. Swing and a fly ball deep into the gap. Right center field. Garcia looking up, going back. Goodbye baseball. We are tied at three. Luis Torrens with that opposite field solo blast here in the bottom of the eighth. For Terence, home run number eight on the season ties the game. It's the Mariners three, the Rangers three, and 25,000 plus on their feet here at T-Mobile Park. Holy smokes, what a shot by Terence! Now the atmosphere was sensational. It was such a fun game, uh, but it belonged to Jake Fraley, who had a magnificent night. Had a couple of hits, a couple of walks, a diving catch, a couple of stolen bases. He did everything, including his very first home run at T-Mobile Park. And the 3-2 pitch. Swing and a fly ball deep to right field. Dahl going back, looking up, and this one is gone. Goodbye baseball, and the Mariners get on the board. Jake Fraley with his seventh home run of the season. Leading off the bottom of the fifth, it's now the Rangers three, and the Mariners one. The Mariners have now homered in 11 consecutive ball games. And then Fraley would come up in the 10th inning, the bottom of the 10th, after Masevich kept Texas off the board. They just needed one to win it. With Bowers at third base, Terenz at first, runners on the corner, corners, Fraley a chance to be the hero, and he was. Here comes the pitch to Fraley. 
Swung on, hard ground ball. It is through. It is a game winner. The Mariners have done it again. They are magic in extra innings. The M's walk it off against the Texas Rangers. Five to four, the final score in ten, as Jake Fraley has done it again. Everybody out in short right field. The celebration is on, and this place is up for grabs. What a wild finish. Mariners winning 5-4, to four, game one of the series. Game two, a different story. Marco Gonzalez making his return and pitch since the 20th. Struggled. Texas hit him pretty hard. He goes three and a third. Six earned runs along the way. So Texas wins game two, going away 7-3 to three, the final. And then game three of the series, the Mariners uh, the with the series on the line. It was Luis Torrens again with a big blow. Here's the stretch and the pitch, swinging a fly ball into right field and deep. Gallo going back to the one he track, looking up and goodbye baseball. Luis Torrens does it again. Another opposite field home run, a three-run shot, and it's now the Mariners three and the Rangers nothing. And for Torrens, Torrid Torrens, his ninth home run of the season. Holy smokes, it's his seventh home run. In his last 12 games, this is return from AAA Tacoma. 3-0. Mariners lead here in the bottom of the fourth, and it came with two on and two outs. They really didn't need much. Chris Flexen was on his game. Flexen a peak at second. The payoff. Swing and a miss for strike three. He pulled the string out of again. The changeup gets Gallo, and he strikes out to end the top of the six, representing the tying run. Good stuff from Flex in one run in six innings. Bullpen, Steckenrider, Seawald, Graveman, no runs in three innings between the three, and the Mariners take the game. They take the series as uh, they are looking forward to the New York Yankees coming up starting on Tuesday. We'll touch on that in just a second, but let's get some reaction to this one. How about Luis Torrens, his reaction to what was a big couple of ball games? He has his hand in both wins. Yeah, I always believe in myself, and uh, that's the reason I work every day hard, and that's me. What is working so well for you at the plate right now? Just the confidence. That's the my most important thing, believe in myself, get confident at the plate, and I'm still working from I get to a stadium to, to the game, well, everything I worked before in the game. At least when you're confident, does that allow you to stay on the ball, to drive it to right center, to drive it to right field the way you've been doing it? I mean, that's that's something a lot of right-handed hitters can't do, but you've really shown power to right field lately. How important is that? Is that- yeah, well, that's, that's always my approach, right middle, right field. But sometimes I'm just trying to, to get everything compact and just make a good swing and a good pitch. That's the... the, the that's the goal. Make a good swing and good pitches. How good was Flexen today? Oh, great. He, he he showed very good confidence, and he commanded his fastball, his score, and his changeup in big moments. Just how big of a weapon has that changeup become for him? Oh, great. That's the pitch he, he has confidence enough, and that's the pitch we're using in some situation like we need to use. When you're calling that 3-2 changeup and Gallo's at the plate, I mean, he's got to throw that with belief and conviction, doesn't he? Because if you make a mistake, it's going to go a long ways. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he threw two pitches before that changeup to changeup, and I feel like he have a 
great feeling after he tore the third one, and that's what happened. Great change in that moment. There it is, Luis Torrens, Mariners catcher. Now we hand things over to Scott Service. Here's what he had to say after the ball game. Outstanding pitching today. That was the name of the game. Uh, not a lot of offense going on either side, but I thought Chris Flexen, uh, outstanding outing coming back. Uh, just a normal four days rest, not the typical five that we've had most of the time with our guys uh, here in the first half. And thought he was really, really sharp. Uh, I know go- going into the game, we talked about maybe limiting him. Uh, I'm not trying to stretch him too far, but very efficient. Uh, was fired up to get him through six innings and only giving up one run. And then our, our bullpen, our guys there, Steck, Seawald, and Gravy continue to, to really throw the ball well. But uh, offensively, Luis Terenz, he had nine homers. Wow. You know, he's really been on a tear since he came back uh, from Tacoma uh, with the bat. And, and we see the kind of power he's got uh, to the opposite field. Pretty impressive. Uh, but putting good swings on the bat and then Shed Long really got into one as well. So, Again, good series for us, um, you know, coming off a productive road trip. Uh, maybe not the, the offense that we were able to generate uh, over in Buffalo and Chicago, but uh, we pitched well in this series, you know, outside of you know, a rocky start from Marco last night. A lot of positive things there. So, um, you know, big series. Like I said, we've got a day off. Uh, we've got the Yankees coming in. Looking forward to that. Questions? Uh, you guys have won 11 of Chris's 15 starts now this season. Just how comfortable are you driving to the park knowing that he's on the hill? Well, you, you know you're going to give you a chance to win the game. He's going to keep you in the ball game. And, and uh, I'm really impressed with how he continues to develop. I mean, the changeup has become a real weapon for him against left-handed hitters. Had a good cutter today. Maybe not as many curveballs as we've seen him throw here recently. Uh, but the cutter and the changeup were really dominant today. And uh, he attacks. He's really bought into what we believe in here as far as dominating the zone, uh, going and winning 0-0-1-1 counts. It's really helped him out. Scott, he threw that change up on the free two fish to Gallo there to, to end the sixth. Was he, I guess, as comfortable with that pitch at the start of the season, and, and how has that comfort with the changeup developed as you've seen it? Well, we were all very comfortable with that pitch. <laughs> There's a lot of people that weigh into that stuff. But, uh, uh, you know, talking about it, you know, you have to understand what your best pitch is and, and how the matchup it works and, and whatnot. And, you know, you make a quality pitch there. If you walk Joey Gallo, we go on and get the next guy. Um, so heck, heck of a job by, by Flex. But, yeah, he's got a ton of confidence in all of his stuff. But certainly the, the success he's had with his changeup, you know, why wouldn't he have a, a lot of confidence in it? During spring training, I, I asked the guys who had the most violent swing on the team. Many of them said shed long. He does not get cheated on his swing. What have you seen just in that, in the power that he can generate? And is it the most violent swing on the team? I don't know if violence is the right word, but it's very aggressive. How's that? How's that, Jen? Uh, you know, Shed's got a, he's got a good swing. He's on the fastball. I know he was frustrated. Uh, they had bat before he got called out on a third strike and, you know, he was kind of complaining about it a little bit in the dugout. And I made the comment to him is, you know, he missed a fastball earlier in the bat. I said, don't miss the fastball. Then you don't have to worry about, you know, what happens when you get the two strikes. And, and after he hit the home run, he said, see, I didn't miss it. I said, yeah, once in a while uh, you listen to coaching and it helps. So no, we're just joking. Uh, Shed put a heck of a swing on it. Uh, he can hit anybody's fastball. And he's certainly got a lot of power. Hey, Scott, the, uh, when Flex did give up that run on that awkward play off the mound, he looked so angry, but he seemed to regroup and get his emotions back in check and really execute to Gallo, who is super dangerous as well. I mean, that's, that speaks to some maturity level as well, doesn't it? 
It, it does. You know, uh, Flex is really hard on himself. Of all of our guys, he's probably the hardest on himself, and, and his expectation level is so high. But, um, you know, you do have to regroup after that. It's a four-to-one game, and, and the, the big home run hitter stepping into the box. So uh, he, he really did execute well. Um, probably going to be his last hitter. Uh, I'm glad he made the pitch that he did and, and uh, got a great result. So, uh, you know, when things like that start going away, getting away from you um, in the inning, you've got to regroup, and he did a heck of a job. Hey Scott, what, how happy were you to tell Yusei Kikuchi that he made the all-star team, and what was that moment like for you? Yeah, like I do every year, uh, we group up the whole team. We talk a little bit about the plans around the break. Certainly a lot of guys will maybe, you know, leave town, maybe head home for a couple of days, whatnot, and, and we explain kind of uh, the parameters around that. And then uh, you, know, you get into talking. I thought we had a couple of guys that were very, very deserving of making the all-star team this year. And certainly Yusei's had a great first half, as has J.P. Crawford. So uh, when I uh, let J- uh, Yusei know he made the team, uh, he kind of put his head down. He did get up and talk to the whole group, which I thought was fantastic. Thanking everybody. Um, he got very emotional. Um, and, he, you know, as he said to the group, you know, it's, you know, I've had my struggles here for a couple of years, but you guys have helped me along the way. And uh, I thought it was it was very meaningful to, to everybody in the room. Uh, on the flip side, obviously uh, disappointed that J.P. Crawford did not make the team. I think he's very deserving of it. He's really been driving the bus here for us. Uh, a heck of a job. Uh, all year long. And, I, I, you know, you look at what he's done as a, a positive war player in the league. I think he's plus three. Uh, I think he's one of the maybe two players in Major League Baseball that are 1.5 plus on offense and 1.5 plus war on defense. That's really hard to do in this league, to have that kind of impact on both sides of the ball. So uh, for me personally, I know organizationally we're disappointed he did not make the team. Uh, but, you know, things like that happen. And he's not going to slow JP down. Had a chance to talk with him about it today. He's going to keep driving the bus and, and hopefully get us to where we need to go. At the Kikuchi making the all-star team and his performance, it's a product of his work and, and the commitment he has to his craft, isn't it? It really is. You know, uh, you know, you say he's always trying to get better. And that's kind of been our theme around here the last couple of years. It doesn't matter, get better. And, you know, after going through some struggles early on his first year here, last year we saw the, the spike in, in, in velocity and how his stuff was playing, but he really wasn't executing to the level that we all thought he could. And, and now he is. And part of that is he's comfortable. Um, he's got a ton of confidence. Um, he, he knows he's a, a part of, of our ball club going forward. And uh, it's been great to see when young players, and you say he's got a lot of professional experience, but having – uh, the opportunity to do it here and all the pressures that go along with it, having, you know, being a Japanese player, I, I tip my cap to him because he's fit in great from day one in our clubhouse, but now he really is the leader of our staff. And every time he goes out there, you know, he's expecting to go deep in the game and, and win us the ball game. There was Scott service. And yeah, you can feel great for you. Say Kikuchi. We'll talk more all-star as this week unfolds. We'll talk more Yankees as this week unfolds. That series starts tomorrow, seven ten first pitch. Wednesday, 7-10. Thursday, day game, 1-10 against the Yankees. Three against the Angels over the weekend. Then the All-Star break is here. We'll see if the Mariners can keep the roll going into the break. In the meantime, Rick Riz, a chance to sit down with Hector Santiago. Chance to visit with veteran left-hander Hector Santiago. Hector doing a great job down to the bullpen with the Mariners this year. It was only a few weeks ago. It seems like you're on a beach in Puerto Rico, spearfishing, and now you're in the midst of a heck of a run by this ball club, winning exciting games. What has the last few weeks been like for you? Kind of a whirlwind? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, leading up to spring training and up to the season this year, I was kind of let down on the fact that I, there was no teams calling. There was no opportunities for me to, you know, have an opportunity spring training to make a make a make a club. Um, my agent, you know, called me in February. I think it was like eighth, ninth, tenth, and he said, "Hey, there's nothing going on." So I shut it down completely mentally, um, baseball wise. I was still working out. I kept my body in great shape. Um, Arm wise, I shut it down. I was like, all right, well, I'll take a break, and then whenever you give me a call, I can get back up, you know, because I figured I'd be in the pen, so I'd be able to get, you know, pretty, pretty amped up really, really quick. Um, so when we happened to get the call, and it was, you know, already AAA was about to start, I think we were like five days away, and they, they called me and said, hey, how quick can you get ready? I was like, you know, I'll, I've only played catch three times in the last three months. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I've kept myself in pretty good shape, like I said. Um, and I think with a couple bullpens, a couple live VPs, I'll be ready to go. So I arrive here in Seattle. I do the COVID yeah. test at the stadium here. I drive down to Tacoma. We have our meeting, and they say, hey, you're starting Saturday. I'm like, we're doing what now? We're, we're yeah. starting. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, you know, in my mind, we're going one inning. You know, one inning, two inning, build your way up. So first day out on the mound, I get, I get four. A week later, I throw five. A week later, I throw five more. And then I'm in the big leagues, you know, yeah. you know, 50, uh, 20 days later after I signed, I'm in the big leagues. And I'm like, I don't think they really understood what went behind all this, of, you know, preparation, like where I was at on the couch, uh, <laughs> spearfishing. Like you said, I was on the beach. I was I was hanging out with my son, newborn son. He's a, I got a four month old. So I was home for that. The birth of my son. Um, and yeah, we were just kind of having a, a good old vacation. You know, first time in my career that I was home besides COVID season last year, which I was in Puerto Rico, but everything was shut down. So um, so I was enjoying, you know, life outside uh, outside of baseball life. I hope you got a big fish, right? Oh, yeah, we got plenty. We had 16 lobsters and uh, <laughs> uh, a couple a couple nice snappers that day. Well, you're in the big leagues where you belong. Tell me a little bit about your new ball club because it's been a lot of fun watching you guys play. Uh, what are you seeing? Because you've been around the game of baseball a long time from this new ball club with young players and some veterans? Yeah, you know, like being down in Tacoma that first couple of weeks and watching, you know, that revolving door where guys were just coming up and down, up and down. There was, you know, guys coming to rehab to get back on the roster. There was guys, you know, relievers up and down. Um, they were looking for starters. It, it was kind of like insane a little bit. I've never been a part of something that was, you know, moving that fast. And I know Jerry loves to make his moves. I know he lo- he loves to lead in baseball and something, you know. <laughs> so, um, but uh, it was it was kind of weird watching it. And, you know, I know at some point you figured – you were going to be up here, so I, I kind of put a lot of you know faith in myself to have the opportunity to be, be up here in the pen or in the rotation, whatever they needed me to do. And um, finally getting up here and watching these guys, you know, just compete every day. You know, it's just a fun clubhouse, good chemistry all around. We just super young team. I think we're the youngest team in baseball. They said, yeah. besides the old guy right here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't but, look like it, or you act like uh, it, or you pitch like it. it. I'm hanging in there. I, you know, I do pretty well for myself. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fun time. I think they really did a really good job of putting a good group of guys together, guys that want to win, and they, they play to the end. There's not a game that we're out of it. Even even if we're down, you know, five, six runs, we we pitch our bullpen the way that, like, if we're in a one-run game every time and we give our, ch- our, our team and our offense a chance to come back and, and put us in a good place to have a, like you said, a walk-off walk, walk-off hit, you know, base hits, walk-off sack flies, whatever it is that we're going to do, and guys want to be a part of that guy. Everybody wants to be a hero. Everybody wants to be that, that guy that's up there in that last inning with that last uh, bat at the plate. Visiting with Mariners reliever Hector Santiago. Hector, none of that happens unless the bullpen does their job to give you an opportunity late in the ballgame to come back, to put you in a position to get a run or two to win a ballgame. The strength of this ball club all year long has has been the bullpen. That bullpen, you know, tell me a little bit about the guys, you know, down there in the makeup. You always have some sort of crazy guy likes to have a lot of fun, and, and you can give so much knowledge and experience to the younger guys 
Can you tell me a little bit about uh, the dynamics of what's happened into the bullpen since you've been here? You know, I think guys really bought into, you know, throwing strikes. You know, early on in my career, it was always, hey, if you throw strike one, you have a better chance. If you throw strike two, you have a really good chance. And, you know, guys always understood it was it was built into you, it was taught to you, but not how it's been taught into you here. Guys, have, I think we're, you know, in the top five in first pitch strikes, top five in one-on-one counts. We were number one in first pitch strikes, you know, and number two in one-on-one counts the other day, which gives you a great chance to compete. You know, for me, like, I think we had our meeting right before the game yesterday, and I was number two on the team for first pitch strike percentage i led the big leagues for three years straight with walks and walks you know what i'm saying so like for for me to be in this position right now like it's it talks a lot about their staff and what they're doing here and what they want you to buy into and i think that those group of guys of you know anywhere from seven to ten relievers a day out there we're really bought into it and everybody wants to beat each other we're competing well i was a starter for most of my career our goal was as a starter was I want to throw more innings than you. So you throw five, I'm going to throw six. I throw six, you're going to throw seven. So I hear it's like, well, if you go four for four on first pitch strikes, I want to go five for five. If you go five for five, I want to go six for six. And I think that's just the competitive nature of, you know, athletes and baseball players. But I think us as teammates, it pushes each other to be better. And I think we're really buying into it. It's been tough the last couple of weeks after, you know, with all this stuff going on with the rosin and all this kind of stuff. But guys are really bought into just committing to throwing strikes. And we go out there and we, sh- we see the numbers. They're giving us the numbers and how good we are doing ahead in the count and really putting guys in holes with O2 and putting them away and I think we have we got one of the best strikeout guys in the world over here uh, Seawall I mean he's I think he faced 13 hitters on the road and had 10 strikeouts so what a phenomenal job all around and he was a guy that you know was probably almost on his way out of baseball as well you know like that just the, the, the nature of the game is crazy you can compete you, you buy into something you buy into a, a team's plan and great things can happen it's been a land of opportunities great to see you take this opportunity and run with it on the opening game of the homestand, we had t- over 28,000 fans. It was the first time we could have full capacity, no COVID-19 you know, restrictions. Fans could buy a ticket, sit wherever they wanted to. What was the atmosphere like, especially late in the ballgame when you guys came back and wanted to see almost 30,000 fans at this ballpark? Unbelievable. So, like, I, I haven't been in the big league game since 2019. So, going to spring training last year, you know, we had the be- regular spring training fans. And then when we came back for the second spring training, there was no fans. So, trying to get a little adrenaline, trying to get pumped up to compete to make a team was, you know, zero. And then, obviously, I didn't make a team. I was off the whole entire year last year. Coming here and, you know, being a part of the first month where we still had restrictions, we were at, you know, what, 60, 70 percent, whatever it was. Um, walking down and throwing that rosin bag off the mound, the crowd got loud. <laughs> Um, and then after striking out the end, striking out the side right there and finishing that inning, it was it was yeah. beautiful to see you know 30,000 30, possible people standing up and you know all out loud and they were into the game. It wasn't like you know where some stadiums you go and fans have no idea what's going on. These guys knew what was going on. They were in every pitch. We were in every pitch, and I think that was kind of got us over the hump. They pushed us to that win last night. That bad rosin bag. I know you can't talk <laughs> about it, buddy, and I won't ask you about it. But I hope it all works out because it's, it's been a very, very strange situation. All I know is we're very happy that Hector Santiago is with this ball club and out there in the bullpen doing a tremendous job. Thank you so much for the visit, buddy. Ain't no problem. Thank you. And today we celebrate. It's Larry Doby Day in the American League, breaking the color barrier on this date in 1947 as we pay tribute to one of the greatest there's ever been. Look at-
Jackie Robinson. The great Larry Doby. His story is one of determination, sacrifice, struggle, and triumph. Just 11 weeks after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in Major League Baseball, Larry Doby became the second black player in Major League Baseball and the very first in the American League. Cleveland's vice president and longtime Larry Doby friend, Bob DiBiasio. The history of Larry Doby, I think one thing people need to truly understand, uh, it was just 11 weeks after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier and he was thrust into the Cleveland Indians clubhouse in Comiskey Park as a 22-year-old. Um, Branch Rickey had a plan uh, for Jackie Robinson, had identified through a number of athletes that Jackie would be a guy who could handle the trouble that he was about to face. And so he brought him in in 1946 and Jackie's uh, in Montreal, probably the most cosmopolitan city in North America at that time, playing with teammates, and then comes for another spring training in 47 and makes the team. Larry Doby is a Newark Eagle playing second base, and Bill Veck buys his contract, and all of a sudden, early July, uh, he's in the Comiskey Park Clubhouse as we're on the road to play the White Sox. So people truly, I think, need to understand um, what Larry Doby went through, that it, it, it wasn't uh, as uh, uh, organized, structured plan to integrate. He was just taken off the roster of the Newark Eagles by Bill Veck and thrust onto the Cleveland Indians and uh, played in all the same cities, uh, but two. The American League was in two different cities than, uh, than the National League at that time. And for Larry Doby, the first challenge presented was by his own clubhouse. To walk in that clubhouse and to, to, to be greeted as cold as I was, and, and, you know, and being 22 years old and not facing that kind of situation before, although I was told that these type of things would happen, I didn't really believe it. But when it happened, uh, I, I, felt, I felt bad about it. And then, of course, uh, I, I, learned, I, I learned through the years to, to, uh, to, to put it aside and not focus on that kind of situation because if you did, it might deteriorate you from what you're supposed to do as far as being successful as a player. When, when you put your hand out and, and uh, no hand comes back, it, it, it's just it's a funny feeling, you know. But I, I, one of the things I think that's so important with that, that type of situation was, was never a point where I, I, I was bitter or never a point where I gained, uh, got to any point where I hate. Uh, I, I, I sort of look at that as a thing where they would have to learn what kind of person I am and maybe that would help them and maybe that would make, make them change. But I wasn't going to get myself involved in any type of situation where it was going to bother me as far as uh, being able to perform. I think that kind of a thing made you give you just more, more determination to be successful. The stories are not as widely told, but Larry Doby went through the same devastating hardships as Jackie Robinson. Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City. The second guy to walk on the moon. He's our Buzz Aldrin. Yeah, and Larry Doby, as you mentioned, went through just as much. Some may argue even more than Jackie because Jackie was playing in Brooklyn. 
and Brooklyn was a major urban center. Yeah, there were black folks in Cleveland, but they didn't have the same media presence following Larry Doby as you had following Jackie. And Larry Doby was 23 years old, thrown into a powder keg of racism. And yet he handled it with the same grace, class, and dignity that Jackie did. And Larry Doby never played a day in the minor leagues. He went straight from Effa Manley's Newark Eagles over to Cleveland. Again, there were five guys who go up in 1947. Jackie, of course, we know his story intimately. And as you mentioned, Larry Doby, but also Hank Thompson, mm-hmm. Willett Brown, and Dan Bankhead. They all go up in 1947, and they're the answers to a trivia question. But that is how we are in our society. We always remember the first. We rarely ever remember the second. And if you're number 16, you can pretty much forget it because it took 12 years for Major League Baseball to finally integrate, fully integrate, with Boston being the last to sign Elijah Pumsey Green in 1959, 12 years after Jackie breaks the color barrier and one of our new exhibitions is called Barrier Breakers and we chronicle all of those trailblazers who broke their respective Major League teams color barriers. But Larry Doby was determined to succeed on the field. My thinking was always I'm going to be successful and I think it came from basic foundation I had that I had success in all athletics. I never thought for one moment that I couldn't play baseball. Now if somebody say well did you say baseball compared to Major League Baseball, Negro Baseball. No, baseball. baseball. And uh, I, I had that feeling, and I never thought for one moment that I couldn't play play baseball, and I never thought for one moment that whatever the obstacles were, that you couldn't overcome them. And, and I think the important thing about this whole situation as far as success baseball is concerned, you'd work hard at it. You've been fortunate enough to play in a league where there were good players, that was a part of it. And by being able to play in that league with good players and then going to major leagues, you're playing against the Majos and the Reynolds and and the Rashies and all those kind of guys. And you saw the same kind of guys in the Negro Leagues, but just a, just a different color skin, that's all. And succeed he did. A Hall of Famer, a seven-time All-Star, and a World Series champion. There goes a fly ball towards left field. Going back fast is Kennedy. Kennedy gets there, and he takes it. And the Cleveland Indians are the world's champions of 1948. And they are leaping joyously as they go off the field. Bearden is being mobbed as our Lou Boudreau. In game four of that World Series, Larry Doby became the first black player to hit a home run in the World Series. The stern-looking Johnny Sane ready. He's into the windup. Round comes the right arm, the pitch, and overhand fastball swung on. Hit high and deep in the right center. something that happened after the game that had an enormous impact. Steve Gromick, the starting pitcher that day, threw a complete game in the 2-1 to win over the Boston Braves. Gromick and Doby hugged each other in the clubhouse, smiling broadly, cheek to cheek, as a photograph was taken by the plain dealer of Cleveland and transmitted to newspapers throughout the country. 
The picture spoke volumes. That if we work together, we can be successful as people. That you certainly, that wasn't a movie script. Mm -hmm. That it certainly came from inside. It had to come from inside. You, you couldn't uh, get to the point where you said, well, you got to rehearse this kind of situation. Uh -huh. It was done in terms of how you felt. He, he, he uh, got, got into more trouble about it than I did <laughs> when he went back home. He, he had some problems with some of his, his friends back home in terms of what are you doing hugging so-and-so and so-and-so. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when, when you see that kind of – that is one of the most proud moments of, of my career. Certainly signing a contract got me to that moment. But once you see that kind of situation, it shows you that uh, – he had been around me long enough now to make a judgment for himself as to what kind of person I was. He didn't have to get it from the dinner table or from somebody who got right. it from the dinner table. And uh, it, 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 it's one of the most important parts came from inside. It wasn't one of those phony type things. It was inside. And I I, uh, I appreciate that. And and one thing, I, I, you know, we talk about it. I talked to him about about a year ago. We always bring it up. <laughs> I, I, I said, how's the people in so-and-so-and-so? He said, oh, everything's fine now. It's a lasting legacy for Dobie in the country, in Major League Baseball, and especially in Cleveland, Ohio. Well, we have a statue out front of Larry, um, a remarkable man. We've retired his uniform number. There's probably five different community impact uh, uh, programs, uh, activities that are attached to his name, scholarships for young minority students to play baseball, um, Fields in the city of Cleveland that we've renovated um, in his name. Uh, other scholarship funds uh, for kids to not only have an opportunity to play sports, but to go to college. And so we feel it incredibly uh, important for us to foster his legacy in Cleveland. One thing that he would always tell me that he never, ever got booed in Cleveland, Ohio, and that meant the world to him. But you know, when you when you look back at it, there, there's, there's some good things happened too. You know, and I think the good things that happened overshadowed all the bad things that had happened. So it's got it's got to make you feel that whatever the obstacles were and whatever you had to go through, this is it's shown and proven that people can get along, people can get together and do things. And if you look at this country, we're strong when all of us are involved. So I think. This is this is one of the things that's been good in terms of baseball because if you look back at baseball, baseball is before civil rights, baseball is before Brown versus education. I think we were were a learning project for this whole thing that's happened in terms of civil rights movement and Brown versus education, and I, and it's it's good to be able to say that because it's a fact. It's not fiction. It's not no. movies. It's a fact. The great Larry Doby, a Hall of Famer. On the field, a Hall of Famer off the field. You know, it's a very tough thing to look back and think about things that were probably negative. Because you put those things on the back burner. You're proud and happy that you've been in part of integrating the baseball to show people that we can live together. We can work together, we can play together, and we can be successful together. Hooray, hooray, the time has really come. Cleveland got last.
Freddie Toby, Brooklyn's got Jackie Robinson. Now the pitcher got scared, let Jackie walk. He stole second, third, and come home all along. Robinson. Toby in the outfield, letting nothing get by. Jackie hitting so safe, you swear the ball and I don't hey, Time has really come. Cleveland got Larry Toby, Brooklyn's got Jackie Robinson. 